Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. I was laying in bed last night thinking, what should Wait, we do? Wait, do we need to talk about? about why we haven't been here for so long? Yeah, let's address that. Just, it's been a while. Can hey, we just, while? Can I don't, it just be a blanket explanation that we all have life. so little time? Yeah, just life. We do this as a hobby, not for fun, not for money, so there's no incentive. <laughs> but do you know what the thing is as well? <laughs> the other day I did nothing at work for nine hours until I had to do a live cross at the footy at six o'clock, right? And I was complaining all day to anyone that would listen how it was just such a waste of my time. And then I said, actually, if I was at home, I'd just be laying down. <laughs> it's not like I had a million things to do. I've become really good at resting. Same. I love resting. Resting is great. Yeah. I embraced it because normally I'm like hyper, I'm up and about, I'm always yeah. fidgety, like annoyingly so. And I had a cold, not COVID, kept doing yeah. the test negative. But it, trust me, it's, it's as bad, if not worse. It took two weeks to get out of yeah. my system. Um, and I forced myself to rest. I interviewed a so man yesterday good. that was in a coma for 84 days. Ooh. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, that's extraordinary, isn't, isn't it? it? He mm. did not feel rested when he woke up. Um, there was only two things that I can remember that I was laying in bed last night thinking, what should we banter about? Because okay. I know you've got decent banter. I my, do. Number one, I just want to say Harry Styles' name. And can we just have a little oh. moment to remember how he looked in the disco ball outfit? I know. And wait for I this. Oh, I know. I didn't know what you were doing just then. <laughs> no. I lost. I lost my I know, mind. But how were you iconic. Shania Twain. I know. <gasps> and because my thing is, whenever I'm mad at work, I go, I have that song. Another colleague and I have this thing where we go, we're going to go kick our boss's door down and go, man, I, I feel, feel like a woman. And just kick his door down and be like, hey, I'm mad. I just thought he was going to do that song, which I love. And I mean, if you oh. go on the cover of Vogue wearing a ball gown, you can sure. sing that song you can do and I will want. love you. Yeah. And then when, she you know, appeared. eyes to the centre of the stage, eyes up, and there was the Queen. I and know, there she, she was. was. the Queen. And she was all of us for a moment because she was, um, she'd worn some sort of tights to make her legs look a bit better because she's, sure. yeah, which is oh, that's yeah. exactly what I would do. Pretend this is my actual legs, but it's not. It's yeah, tights. tights. And she had really stacked high boots on. I was thinking later that coming down that sort of stair, that, that would be terrifying. Yeah. And she was nervous and she was clearly like, so flattered to be asked by Harry Styles. To be a Coachella. And the other thing is, it opened the door open for me. Like, if he's open to doing some sort of a double act what thing with a woman with of, senior, of a senior vintage, he might give me a call. I am. I'm older than Shemar. I don't. I hate to break it to you, but I will break this on this podcast. He's not calling you. Oh. Dead silence. Oh, no. silence. That's What's the first your act time then? We... What's your act? Like, if he calls you, rings you up. He's like, what hey, you I want you to be, join me on the stage at Coachella. What are you no, bringing? Just, uh, no, I can't do Coachella. I could just sidestep. interview. I'm an, oh, could... interview. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I've got. I could Nothing bring more. interview. Okay I, okay. I would like to talk to you about fashion. I don't know. Um, um, my only other ban- uh, banter thing in this yeah. is uh, oranges. I've gone mad. On, I've gone mad on oranges. and I don't Actually, like... sometimes 
you will see a fruit that you haven't had in a while in the supermarket and you get then you get fucked up on it and you're like That's me with oranges. <laughs> but and then you eat so much fructose that you're going to the bathroom so often that you're like, I've yeah. got to stop this. I think it's actually doing something to my teeth. In fact I know it is because my dentist said to me like because I was getting that sore gum thing and he said, see? Well, if you're having a lot of acidic fruit, I'm like, oh. yeah. see? because see, don't be wasting your time. People get put no. off oranges because when you peel them it's like gets under your fingernail and it hurts and who, who's got time to peel an orange? Don't do that. Get a little serrated knife and, and cut it. lop its top off like you would with a boiled yeah. egg. Lop its bottom off so its top and bottom are flat. Yeah. And then just go zhoo, 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 down the sides. I yeah. watched, I was in a restaurant once and I was watching a guy in <laughs> the <laughs> kitchen <laughs> doing like zhoo, zhoo, cut its yeah. peel off, chop it up, and then it's in little pieces. Okay, hold on, go. hold on, hold on. Are you buying the netted bags of oranges? Is that how? I have, I'm not at that level yet. How many a day? I started with four a week. The f- Oh, no, That's... one a day. Okay. But it, I'm mixing in different. See, the grapes are very good at the moment. Yeah. And also, here's another one Your I'll throw in. Your toast level is right up. Yep, up there. <laughs> here's another one. Because the blueberries are too expensive at the moment. And they're, they're my so expensive. summer choice. Okay. The other one I've gone mad on, pineapple. And it's a fruit that very people difficult. walk past. Very difficult. Very difficult. So much to cut. No, mm. it's not. So Again, same technique. Top off, bottom off. So it's yeah. got flat top and bottom. Yeah. And then just get your knife and sort of like shave its... Do, 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 down, I eat my edges. pineapple with salt and pepper on it. Oh, <laughs> it's a Sri Lankan thing, though. You put Ooh. salt and pepper on it. So black it, pepper, or yeah, black pepper and a bit of salt, because it's like sweet and then salty. It's delicious. Oh, my mouth's oh. watering. <laughs> Thinking about it. So is mine. That's interesting. A little bit of salt and pepper, delicious. Ooh. Any bands? Um. Okay. So I have. I need to look at my list. A couple of things. <laughs> so there's a little, there's a, I got a little banter list. Banter. Because when we save some for the next episode. When we organise these episodes do, are rare. I They're know. Like, and here's something I think we should say. Sorry before you jump into yours. Sure. I think this will be the world's most spasmodic podcast because from it's this been point so long. Onwards. So we'll just have to do them. When we're when they're on, hang on. Just when we it. get a chance, like you're saying, we, yeah. we can't commit to to a fortnight. We can't commit. Episode. We're non-committal. Yeah. Like I got married last year. That's all the commitment I can do. Yeah, you're at max capacity for commitment. You've committed to a child. Yes. Yep. <laughs> what are you committing to, DJ? Oranges. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> <Fruit> much. <laughs> Not apologising. I'm on. Uh, do you know anyone that says I'm unapologetic? I want to smack them. Oh, I know exactly where you heard that from this week. Oh, where did I hear it? That Sam Newman interview. No. Oh. Who said it on that? Sam Newman. Sam Neil? Yeah, yeah, don't say it. I'm unapologetic. No, that's that's not a quality that you should aspire yeah. to being. Hmm. But aspire to being someone who is able to apologise if you do something wrong. Now, what have I told you about my neighbour? Did I tell you how I was a total freak and the house went up for sale and I went and looked at it? <gasps> No, we didn't get that far. No, so he was having weird bonfires. There okay. was the whole thing with the fence. Then that, like, people appeared and they were mowing lawns and all that stuff. I feel like I told this. Did I not tell you? So the I house went up for sale. There was an open for this inspection. This podcast is too spasmodic for I me know. to know. I was like, I'm going. I'm going into the murderer's house to see what's oh. happening. Anyway, it was the cleanest, nicest house I've probably ever been into. Too clean? Too clean. Mm. And then I asked the real estate agent, who lives here? And he goes, oh, just a man on his own. Remember how he told me he had a family? He had kids. Yes. He told me this whole oh. story. And he, I was like, has he lived here alone the whole time? He's like, yeah, the oh. whole time he's been here alone. Like, <laughs> you were asking the question. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, because, you know, um, yeah, he told me that he had a family. He was like, 
oh, definitely not. Absolutely not. I was like, oh, where's he? What's his? I was asking everything. Too many questions. I was like, where's yeah. he going? He's like, he's going to go move into regional Victoria. He's had enough here. He's going to regional Victoria. Okay. He's yeah. bought heaps of land. In my head, I'm like, yeah, for murdering. That's what he's bought. Yes, heaps of land. Paddocks. Yeah. He's yeah. digging bodies. Anyway, next thing happens. Obviously, he moves out. We get new neighbors. The first night they move in. Bonfire. They throw a rager. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, when I mean a rager, 2.30 in the morning, trance oh, music. Oh, no. <laughs> no. And, like, Nicholas was going to kill them. And I was like, look, it's their first night. Let's just let it go. Let's just let it be. It's all good. Anyway, the next day we came out into the street. There were like beer cans in the street. Mm. Our front neighbours were like, did you fucking hear that last night? I was like, yeah, we heard it. Anyway, next night a dog turns up in their backyard. Good dog, bad dog. A dog that barks nonstop. No. Yeah, but it's barking because it's saying, help me, help me. Right? Right? So then I'm like, being the the nosy Susan that I am, I put my head over the fence. Yes. It was the biggest American staffy I've ever seen in my life and it lunged at the fence. Oh, no. I was like, oh, my Lord. Came back down. Anyway, the dog has not stopped barking. It's been a month. No. The dog is four o'clock in the morning barking, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I've had it. I'm going over there. Yeah. And I was going to be nice. Anyway, I knocked. No one was home. I was like, what am I going to do now? So I wrote a note. Yeah. Oh, note's difficult. I know, but I tried to be nice. I was like. It doesn't matter what your note the tone to the neighbours is about. Right? It's always going to come tone. across as crazy. And then I was thinking, this could be like, this could be the start of them murdering me. Yeah. Right? Yep. This could be the start of them setting my house on fire. What did you say? In I the was note? like, hello, welcome to the street. Uh, <laughs> and I said, I noticed you have a dog. <laughs> Unfortunately, your dog is barking day and night for hours on end. I absolutely understand that your dog may be scared given you've just moved in. Oh, that's good. What right? a good life. I, yeah. I was trying to be yeah. really nice. I was like, but if, if there's anything you could do, it would be greatly appreciated. Please let me know um, your neighbours next door. Yeah. I've heard nothing. Oh, and the dog's no. still barking. Oh, they no. don't care. Did you keep a copy of the note? Was it typewritten or handwritten? No, I handwrote Handwriting's it. Handwriting's nice. Did I you go cursive it. or did you just go capitals? Because tone can be... Oh. No, my handwriting is cursive. So oh, beautiful. Yeah. It, was, it was cursive. So the tone was lovely. Yeah, it would have come and across The tone lovely. was lovely, but I got scared because like, I had not... Have you? Um, I bet I know what the answer is. Have you Googled what to do um, if if neighbor's dog is barking? Oh, it was the first thing I did even yeah. before I went over there. So what does the council say? What so the council says, and my council's kind of nuts, but it says that I have to keep a barking dog log. Oh. <laughs> well, no, that's cool. Oh, wow. Like just record little bits on your phone, like timestamps. And I have to write the date, the time, how long the dog barked for, and then you have to do this for, I think, an entire week. And you have to say, did it give you a headache? Did it stop you doing something? How loud was the noise Gosh. inside your house? It's a full-on process. Wow. That I just don't have time for. But, um, yeah, it's an ongoing issue. Yeah. Mm. Difficult. I don't know because I know you love dogs. I love dogs. I love dogs. But to me, that's a dog calling well. It's our patient expert who comes on my show, Laura yeah. V. She says that's them vocalizing, trying to tell you something. Yeah. That's the do- they, they it's they lonely. Need to walk it. Yeah. Hmm. Anything else? 
I'm, well, try, I'm trying to save banter because... Yes, I'm, and I'm excited about my story. Can I tell you? I've got two exciting stories. One's for the next episode. Can okay. I do my story? Yeah, do okay. it. Okay, that's what we're here for. All right. So, Elma J. McCurdy, we're in America. We've uh, had a McCurdy before, I reckon. Hope, I don't know if you've had this one. No, no well, hope hopefully not. not. So, he was born in, in Washington, Maine, in America, in 1880. I like going way back because no back. living relatives can come at me and sure. be angry. Uh, now, his mum, Sadie, was just 17 when she – although, you know, when people come at me, I'm, I'm up for the fight most days. Do you remember when someone wrote to us and we were so panicked because they were a family member? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it was actually fine in the end. It was so yeah. fine. But our immediate reaction was to panic. Yeah. Yes, it was. Um, our like, heads, take my the head... episode down. Get yeah. Yeah. It's a <laughs> And then we were like, oh, no, we were actually quite respectful. We were fine. But what I learned from that, and that was actually good that we went through that because it's and, – and we're aware of it, but even even if a lot of time has passed, there are still relatives. Yeah. There are still family members who Absolutely. care. And in that particular case, and I remember that one, it was a member of the family who I think just wanted to be acknowledged Yeah, that this is someone from my family that I lost and that's yeah. what I think is really important and that's yeah. why I don't have a problem talking about incidences that have happened sure. because it's it's remembering the person and what happened to them. Definitely. Yeah. But this one's so far back that the chances of any of that happening are um, – oh, trust me, next episode is going to be worse because there's a – anyway. What? Don't Elma say next going to be worse. Okay. Elma's mum, Sadie, she was just 17 and she wasn't married. Now, nobody actually knew who Elma's dad was, but there was some talk going around that it was Sadie's cousin, a guy called Charles. So to cover up the shame of her being a single mum at 17 and having little Elma, Sadie's brother, George, and his wife, Helen, adopted little Elma. So George, the brother died of tuberculosis, so Sadie and her sister-in-law, Helen, they took baby Elmer and they went to live in Maine and they grew up together for a while. They all lived together. And eventually Sadie told Elmer that she was his mum and that Helen wasn't his mother and that she didn't know who his dad was. And he apparently didn't take it very well and he became unruly and rebellious. I mean, he's grown up. He's not an unruly, rebellious (laughs) baby. I don't know. Kirsten has a baby at the moment. She seems to be an angel to me. But Kirsten, can babies be unruly and rebellious? They can be unapologetic, yes. Right. They can be unapologetic. (laughs) They can also be cute as fuck. Have you seen Kirsten's baby? I don't know if I've seen it up, like a recent. Oh my recent god! Photo. I'll send you a like, photo. She's seriously, very Check animated out the these days. She's got big, yeah. big Jersey cow eyes. Bless her. She has. She's actually like a cartoon baby, like that they've drawn the eyes too big in the head. Aww. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, okay, so he's a teenage by this point. He's unruly, rebellious, and he is a heavy drinker, and that stays with him throughout his life. So, okay. Elmer went to live with his grandfather, and he became an apprentice plumber. Unfortunately, the economy took a dive in 1898, so he lost his job. In 1900, his mother, Sadie, died of a ruptured ulcer, and then his granddad, who he was living with, died of Bright's disease, which I had to Google. What is it? It's kidney disease. Right. So, uh, mum's died, granddad's died, he was living with granddad, and Elmer became a drifter so and he's still drinking very heavily so he was working every now and again but because he was drinking so much it was hard for him to hold a job in kansas in 1905 he was arrested for public intoxication in 1907 he joined the army and they trained him as a machine gun operator which 
I don't want to tell the American Army how to do their job, but I would think if someone's got a bad drinking problem. Maybe put... <laughs> no machine guns. Yeah. yeah. And gets worse. They taught him how to use nitroglycerin for demolition. Oh, like this. this... Blowing stuff up. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he lasted three years of the army. He was honorably discharged. I'm not sure why he left, but there was okay. nothing nefarious yep. about it. So it wasn't long before he and a mate were arrested in Kansas for carrying tools for a burglary. They had chisels, hacksaws, funnels for nitroglycerin, gunpowder, and they had some sacks with them, which they were probably planning to put money into. They were charged, they faced court, and Elmer told them that the gear they had with them was for working on a foot-operated machine gun that they were inventing. Oh, no. And the jury... Like you put your pedal down. Yeah, oh. something. I don't know. Oh, we're using this stuff to invent <laughs> a gun. Okay. And the jury believed him oh. and found him not guilty. So they let him go. He was lying, obviously. Uh, and when he w- was set free again, he started robbing banks and trains. But he wasn't very good at it. He used... There will be a dead body, by the way. Okay. And, yep. Uh, he used... I was wondering when the murdering was murdering was going to start. Mm. Uh, there'll be some, don't worry. He used okay. nitroglycerin, uh, but he got the wrong amount. So by March 1911, he was living in Oklahoma and he and three other men decided to rob the Iron Mountain, Missouri Pacific train. Now, Elmer had heard that it had a safe on board with about $4,000 in it. So that's 1911 equivalent to about $120,000 today. Okay. So they stopped the train, they found the safe, but Elmer put too much nitroglycerin on the safe's door to open it and the safe was destroyed and so was most of the money. So what they got away with about $450 in silver coins, but they'd actually all been oh. melted and fused to the side oh, of the no. safe. But anyway, they got some silver. Six months later, September 1911, Elmer and two other men tried to rob a bank in Kansas. And again, Elmer used too much nitroglycerin. He blew the vault door through the bank. He destroyed money. And they only got away with about $150 in coins that had just sort of spilled onto the floor. So these men all got away. They split up. Elmer ended up at the ranch of a friend. And he was living there in a hay shed. He's still drinking heavily. The next month in Oklahoma, Elmer and two other men went to, to rob another train. Now, they'd heard that this other train had $400,000 in cash on board. Wow. Imagine how much money that was. A then. lot. Millions, yeah. But they stopped the wrong train. And what they got on the wrong train, not the one with the 400 grand on board, was $46 from the mail clerk, a bit of whiskey, a revolver, a coat, and the train conductor's watch. Oh, no. A newspaper article at the time called the robbery one of the smallest in the history of train robbery. So, Alma isn't doing great. He's still drinking heavily. He gets tuberculosis, oh. pneumonia. He gets trichinosis, which, again, I had to Google. It's a disease that people can get by eating raw or undercooked meat from animals that have got this parasite called trichinella in it. So he's got a whole bunch of stuff going wrong. He's still living in the barn. He stayed up drinking with some of the ranch hands and then he fell asleep in the hayloft. Now, what Elmer didn't know was that he had been identified at the site of the last robbery. Okay. And there was a $2,000 reward out for his capture. So early the next morning, three sheriffs tracked Elmer down with bloodhounds. There was a shootout. And Elmer was killed. Oh. Single gunshot to the chest, bang, he's gone, he's dead. So they took his body 
to The Undertaker in Oklahoma. Nobody came to claim it. So, The Undertaker, Joseph L. Johnson, decided to preserve the body in the hopes that the next of kin would come forward and take the body from him. So, he embalmed the body with an arsenic-based preservative, which is what they used in embalming at that time. I think they used it up until around about the 1920s. Um, Joseph shaved the face of Elmer's body. He dressed it in a suit and he stored it in the back of the funeral home. But still nobody came to claim Elmer. Joseph Johnson refused to bury the body because he wanted to be paid for it. So he came up with another idea. He decided to exhibit the body to make some money. He dressed it up. He put a rifle in the hands of the body and he stood it up in the corner of the funeral home. And for a nickel... He let visitors come in to see the bandit who wouldn't give up. And he also sometimes called him the embalmed bandit. And it became this really popular tourist attraction. People would go to the funeral home, I know. Uh, He got a load of offers from people who wanted to actually buy it from him, but he turned them down. On October the 6th, 1916, a man calling himself Ava, I think that's his surname, not his first name, he contacted Joseph Johnson at the funeral home and he said that he was Elmer McCurdy's long lost brother from California and this guy Ava had already been in touch with the Osage County Sheriff and a local attorney and got permission to take custody of the body and ship it back to San Francisco for a proper burial. So the next day this guy Ava arrived at the funeral home he had another man with him calling himself Wayne. Wayne? Wayne. Wayne? Uh, who, it's from, um, oh, what's the show? I don't know. I just. Tim and Eric. Oh, okay. Yeah, Wayne. Wayne's dying upstairs. And what's her name? Jan. Janny calls out to him, Wayne, we're <laughs> coming up. Uh, so, Wayne. So, Ava and Wayne turn up at the funeral home. Wayne also claimed to be uh, Elmer McCurdy's brother. So the funeral director released the body to the men. It all looked very official. And the body was sent to Arkansas City in Kansas. But as you probably guessed, they weren't related to Elmer at all. Mm -hmm. They were, in fact, James and Charles Patterson. And James Patterson owned the Great Patterson Carnival Shows. Oh. So Elmer McCurdy's corpse became part of the carnival show as the outlaw who would never be captured alive. So in – they – sort of took the show around, people came to see it, fabulous. In 1922, Patterson sold his carnival show to another man named Louis Sonny and he used Elmer's corpse in his travelling museum of crime, which, side note, we should set that up. We should do that. We could do that, like the dental van, but roll up crime. <laughs> you think in a caravan? We need a caravan. With some pay our faces yeah. on the side. Correct. Like bobbleheads. <laughs> Chanel Didi and Kirst's How much to get in five bucks? Crime. Yeah, five bucks is yeah. enough because yeah. I don't know what we've got in there really yet. What have we got? Nothing. Uh, nothing yet. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Just us. Mm-hmm. So in the 1930s, so it's in the Museum of Crime. In the 1930s, a film director borrowed the corpse to promote his film Narcotic. He propped it up in the lobby of theatres and labelled it as a dead dope fiend. And he claimed that this body, this man had killed himself when surrounded by police and that he'd robbed a drugstore. So it's being used for different things. 
Uh, now, by this time, the body was mummified. The skin had become really hard and shriveled up and the body had shrunk a lot, as they do. So eventually, the corpse was placed in storage in a warehouse in LA. In 1964, it was loaned to a filmmaker who used it in his movie, She Freak. Something terrible is happening. Not terrible, but something is happening. <laughs> I'm wearing my velour tracksuit, which is one of my favourites. Yeah. But the seats that we're in the dining oh, room. Oh, you're getting stuck the to The seats them. of velour. Yeah, it's like gripping. It's like yeah, vel- stuck. I can't <laughs> swivel around in my chair. And as I said, I'm a fidget <laughs> I'm unable to fidget okay. without my pants falling down. Okay. <clears throat> right. Uh, in 1964, it was loaned to a filmmaker. He used it in a movie called She Freak. And then in 1968, it was sold to the owner of the Hollywood Wax Museum. And it was then borrowed by two men who showed it at Mount Rushmore. Now, the problem there was a big windstorm blew up and the body must have blown over. And it was damaged. The tips of the ears, the fingers and the toes were all broken off. So when it was given back to the Hollywood Max Museum, they decided that it was just too gruesome, I think, as in such bad condition. And it wasn't lifelike enough at this point that they didn't want to display it. So the owner of the Wax Museum sold it to a man named Ed Leish. And he was part owner of something called the Pike, which was an amusement zone in Long Beach in California. So by 1976, Elmer McCurdy's corpse was hanging in a fun house at the Pike called Laugh in the Dark. And Laugh is spelled L-A-F-F, so you know you're going to get big laughs there. Oh, my goodness. By this stage, though, it had changed so many hands. People just didn't know what it was. was. Yeah, and they assumed that it was a fake. Now, have you ever heard of a show called The Six Million Dollar Man? Yes. Right. For those who haven't, uh, it was part of my childhood. It ran from 1973 to 1978. And it was about a guy called Colonel Steve Austin who had been an astronaut. Uh, Lee Majors played him. And he was in an accident for NASA and lost a few parts of his body. And they rebuilt him with all these parts. Sure. So he was part robot and or not robot, but part superhuman and he could run really fast and he had these bionic implants in his I think his was in his eyes. The bionic woman had them in her ears. She could okay. hear stuff miles away. Which would you rather have bionic vision in, have bionic in your eyes or ears? Eyes. You'd rather be able to see everything or hear yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've got tinnitus and it doesn't really bother me. So have I. <laughs> it's the worst, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a very it's very annoying, but only like when I think about it or when it starts to make a noise. But yeah, I'd go eyes. Yeah, when you concentrate on it, it's worse. Yeah. That's what they say, just distract yourself. Correct. And, yeah. Um, okay, so we know the $6 million man. and, and um, So they were filming the show on December the 8th, 1976. They were filming the $6 million man at the Pike Funhouse. And during the shoot, one of the prop men moved what he thought was a wax oh, mannequin no. that was hanging from a gallows. And when its arm broke off, oh, no. he looked a bit more closely and thought that's a bit odd. He could see human bone, which you wouldn't have in a wax mannequin. And he could see what he thought was muscle tissue. So they called the police and the police took the corpse to the coroner's office. At this point, nobody knows who the who it is or if it's real or whatever it is. So the coroner does an actual autopsy on the body and determines that it is the body of a human male who had died of a gunshot wound to the chest. The body by this point was completely petrified. It had been covered in wax. It had been covered in layers of phosphorus paint. It weighed about 23 kilos and was 160 centimetres tall. 
there was some hair on the sides of the back and the head. This is all from the coroner's report. The ears, big toes and fingers were missing. The coroner could also see the incisions from the original autopsy and could see how the embalming had been done. They did some tests that showed arsenic. So they knew that arsenic had stopped being used in the 1920s. So they knew that this body must have come from prior to that era. They found tuberculosis in the lungs. There were bunions and scars. The bullet that killed Elma had been removed, but the bullet jacket was found. And they were able to determine that that kind of bullet had been first used in 1905, but not after 1940, so they're getting okay. closer. Um, inside the mouth oh, no. was you know, this is gross. Oh. A 1924 penny. Oh yeah, they did that right. And there was yeah, they well someone has yeah. as a joke put a penny in the mouth. Yeah. Unless I think they did that. Didn't they put pennies on eyes? eyes of, yeah. Uh, I think this is more someone has done it as a joke. There were ticket stubs to the night uh, the Pike sideshow, the last. Thing it had been at, and tickets to Lewis Sonny's Museum of Crime. So again, think someone's just done that okay. for a laugh. So they contacted Dan Sonny, who is the son of Lewis Sonny, the, yes. the most recent owner who had the Museum of Crime. Uh, stole our idea. We that was our idea. That we was were ours. Anyway, uh, he confirmed that the corpse was in fact Elmer McCurdy. So they took some radiographs of the skull and they put them over a photo of Elmer McCurdy that was taken at the time of his death and it was a match. So they waited for any living relatives to come forward, but nobody did. Instead, a man by the name of Fred Olds, he represented, and I'm not sure what the link is here, but anyway, he represented the Indian Territory Posse of Oklahoma Westerns. He convinced the medical examiner in LA to allow him to bury the body in Oklahoma. So he was given custody on April the 22nd, 1977. There was a funeral procession to um, take him to this cemetery in Oklahoma, 300 people attended. Wow. Elmer McCurdy was buried next to another outlaw by the name of Bill Doolan and to ensure that nobody would steal the body, which is highly likely, uh, we would like it for our Travelling Dead Bodies Museum in the caravan, they put two feet of concrete over the casket. And I have a photograph to show you, Charnel. Sorry, Kirsten, I haven't got... It's jumping up and down. There. There we are. Elmer McCurdy, dead body. How would you be if you were the prop guy? That's what I was about to say. I wanted to go back to the prop guy. It breaks off and they're like, wow, these people really decided to go all out with this dummy. <laughs> they put bones and everything inside there. Ooh, Muscle no. tissue. Yeah. 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 The Can smell. Well, would there be a smell? I don't reckon there would. No. Nah. Really? Not oh. after all that time. Not if it was that dried up. Because doesn't the smell come when there has to be a bit of moisture, I think, for a smell to happen? Yeah, mm. generally. And there was nothing juicy about Ugh. that corpse at that do stage. That. Yeah. Mm. That's juicy. it. Okay. Juicy. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've got a story about a man called Stephen Surly. Could be Searle. Looks like Surly. Can you spell it for me? Yes, sure. Is he Stephen with a V? He's a Stephen with a Mm P-H. And it's S-E-A-R-L-E. Searle. Searle. Is that Searle? Yeah. All right. Mm. Right. Let's go with that. As a young man, he competed in bodybuilding contests and he later served with the 45 Commando and was said to be trained to kill during his time with an elite military unit. What time are we in? 
Uh, we are in, well, this is just the preamble about him, but we're going in the 2000s. Okay. Yeah. So you've gone way back. Yeah. I'm quite current. Uh, other than that, uh, Steve or Stephen, uh, he did call himself Steve sometimes. He lived with his wife, Anne, who was 62 in Suffolk. And they had three adult sons. Yes, you want to say something? No, I don't. Okay. I'm taking it in. We don't have the bell. We don't need it. Don't get it. Yeah. Um, we could ding something. We're in my dining room. There's bottles of wine. Hang on. Is. Let's see if that will work. That's just a half drunk one. No, it's no, not that. Terrible. Um, one of those. I've got a very old fashioned house. Hang on. This is one of those old that? meat covers that go over the roast. No, that doesn't. Terrible. Oh, I know it'll work. Hang on, there's a big basket. You're committed. I am committed. She's like, what? oh, jeez. Sounded like she doofed her head there. Yeah. No, <laughs> it was. How's that? Can oh, you hear that, Kirsten? Is that, is that, is that a wooden spoon on a pot? It's a see, vase. It it's like. a tall glass vase. Now I can't see Chanel because I'm looking at her through, through a vase. Okay, that's the Terry belt. Okay. Other than that, lived with his wife Anne. They've got three adult sons. In 2013, he secured a seat on the Suffolk County Council and in 2017, he ran as a UKIP candidate, hoping to become an MP for the uh, central Suffolk and north Ipswich area. But he bombed out. He finished uh, last of the five candidates and he only had around 1,600 uh, votes. He ended up working in an Ipswich bowling alley, right? which I thought was strange, but anyway, uh, with his son and his son's girlfriend. Stephen, however, had a wandering eye, and that eye wandered right over. To the women bowling over to bowl their balls? Bending over to bowl their balls. His son's girlfriend. Oh. Ugh. Because I, my first thought was, where in the bowling alley? Would your eye wander? Because where do you want to be? Do you want to be on the actual lanes where there's a chance you're going to get bowled by a bowling alley? I want to be near the snacks. Yes. The bay marine. <laughs> yeah. The hot ships. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good choice because if you're near the snacks, that's back in the sort of welcome to the bowling alley section where you're handing out the shoots. Now, you do not want to be near the shoes. with all those sticky shoes. So I don't know if you've True. made the right choice there. Uh, her name was Anastasia Pomiativa. She was 39 years old and she, although they were just girlfriend, boyfriend, they had a child together. So not married, but there's a child yeah. being Stephen's grandchild. Yeah. And he is still going there. Okay. The affair began. Hang on, hang on. Going there or just looking at it? Looking there. But okay. they began to have an affair in March of 2017 when Stephen Searle invited Anastasia inside the council building as Suffolk County Council and allegedly told her he it had been a long time for him since he'd had sex and he was sexually attracted to her. <laughs> I'm sexually attracted to you. <laughs> to you. Don't tell her it's going to be a long time because she's going to brace herself for like, you well, know, is it going to come out like with a plug at the end well, of it? Well, it didn't happen straight away. Up. He spent weeks pursuing a sexual relationship with her, including by sending her photos of him when he used to be a bodybuilder. Oh, no. This is how good I used to be. Yeah. No. Look, this no. is me. But their sexual, for him. their sexual relationship did begin in April of 2017. But unfortunately, his family found out about it on June or around June 2017. Uh, he had referred to her throughout their affair as 
the SJB, which was Steve's beautiful girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> cringe. <laughs> and when his family found out about it, it was his wife, Anne, who actually found explicit texts and photos on her on his phone. No, so what were the photos? What I don't were they? Know. I don't know, but that's how this has all been exposed. So when it's been exposed by the family, the the relationship ends. Anastasia ends the relationship. Now Anne had considered leaving. Mm. She thought about it, but she felt that she was too old to start over again, so she stayed with Stephen. Okay. Uh, but obviously, as this goes on, they're having arguments about it. And it caused such an argument on December 30, 2017, that around 10.30 p.m., he put her in a marine-style chokehold and strangled her to death. What? Yeah, he did. That came out of nowhere. Didn't it? A post-mortem carried out the following day revealed that the cause of the death was compression of the neck. A forensic pathologist later gave evidence that she would have lost consciousness after about 8 to 15 seconds of pressure. How quick. If they were doing the post-mortem straight after, like, I wonder, did he call and say, I've killed my... Well... No, that's all coming. So interesting that Should you I... say that. What happened? Yes. So, uh, we do have some audio. Mm-hmm. Kirst, I don't know if you have it lined up for this. Got it, got it. Great, that we will play you now. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, I've uh, just killed my wife. you just killed your wife? Yeah. Okay. A bit different for you tonight, I expect. Happy New Year. Okay, and how have you killed her? Um, suffocation, really, I guess. A uh, bit of a bizarre situation, but, um, you know, don't mind. Okay, is it just the two of you in the house? Uh, well, just for one of us now. Right, okay. Yeah, well, two, you know, yeah. Okay, is there any other sort of issues that the um, officers need to be aware of when they come into the house? Is there uh, no, not really. Um, you know, I'm not violent. I'm not nothing. Um, okay. Um, Stephen, can I just get you to go and answer the door? I believe we should have um, some officers there. Are you able to uh, just go and speak to them? Okay, they're here now, are they? They should be there. Right, I'm on my way. Hang okay. I'm on my way as we speak. Okay. I've killed me, uh, yeah, it's only, well, two, well, one, really, in the house. I'm not violent or nothing, so it's all right, just tell them to come in. No, I just gently, in a non-violent way, just killed someone with my bare hands. And then when they turn up, how's it when he goes, hello, buddies? (gasps) Oh, no, they're not your buddies, you're a murderer. Wow. Isn't it incredible? Yeah. Uh, So that is the call that he made to emergency services on July 18th. Uh, he was he was jailed for life with a minimum of 14 years and he will most likely spend the rest of his life in jail. Uh, he denied the murder. He claimed that Anne came at him with a knife and he acted in self-defence. The judge said, your actions have caused devastating waves of pain and anguish to crash through your entire family. Wow. I don't like that he blamed her or said she 
she came at him with a knife. It's that blaming thing. Like, yeah. why is he bl- you've killed her. Isn't it? I don't care what she did. She did not deserve to be killed for it. If she came at you with a knife, take the knife off her. I actually found that audio before I found the story. Does that make sense? So I was actually just looking around on the internet for murder things, as I do. Yeah. Uh, and I found the audio. And I thought, oh, what's this? And I played it. And I was mortified. Just how casual he yeah. is. Yeah. That's scary. It reminds Anyways, me of another story you did, the the girl who's – and they did a Netflix version of it. Kirsten, can you remember? Oh, and the, the guy she, next Shanann? door. Shanann? Oh, the, yeah, Shanann. Yeah, yes. And he well, – yeah, come on in. Yeah, yeah sure. Sure. Oh, yeah. Sure. A de- faux casualness. Yeah. It's awful. It? Yeah. <gasps> God. Mm. Well, he can get in the bin. He can get in the bin. Mm. Should we do some feedbacks? I again, there's so many apologies attached to this pod, and and um, we're not unapologetic. I am apologising. Sorry, they're a mess, but there are some we need to get to that are important. Do you want to do that one from Sarah? Yes, sure. I actually do want to do this one from Sarah. So, uh, hello, wonderful ladies. Nice things, nice things. The three of you are such a pleasure, and have made me laugh with your banter through the hideous times lately. Thank you. I just have a big thing that bothers me, and before I say what this is, I'm absolutely on board with her and so am i and, and that's you are too right, yeah. Kirsten, you yeah. will be too when you hear what it is mm-hmm. um i have a big thing that bothers me that seems to come up frequently your use of the word prostitutes i'm very much being a pc brigadier is it brigadier or brigadier could be brigadier is it brigadier <laughs> not sure i don't <laughs> well, know <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm a sex worker and that really does kick me in the guts every time I hear it. I love true crime and the sad fact is that in so many cases, the most awful people have harmed us prostitutes as almost a trial run and we just get named as that. Our case is ignored as we apparently are worthless and don't have people who love us. As decrim advocates continuously scream, women aren't safe if sex workers aren't safe. Absolutely true. Mm. I'm a lot more than just the fact that I do sex work. I also have a normal job. I have amazing family and friends. I foster cats and dogs. I love her. her. And (laughs) have too many hobbies than there is for time like anyone else. I... I love being a sex worker. I wouldn't do it otherwise, but it is work. So much emotional and physical work, but it's the best job I've ever had. And my biggest takeaway is men are so very lonely. And yes, I believe all of us know a sex worker and or someone that sees sex workers. Anywho, I'm sorry. It's okay if you don't change it. I still love listening. Just wanted to share my opinion. Uh, She goes on to outline a dead body experience. She says, singing in the church choir from eight years old and they did funerals. No huge fuss there. Weird, but not disturbing. Then my nan's viewing, and they had put the most awful 80s makeup on her. Oh, no, poor nan. It it was 2001. She never wore makeup. She was so cold and odd-looking. I realized that the body means nothing. She wasn't there anymore. My mental aunt made my young cousins kiss her goodbye. There is always that one mental aunt that kisses you when you don't want to be kissed. And forces other people. Yeah. Uh, they were terrified and cried, cried whilst she screamed at them to do it. Trauma there for sure. Also a motorbike accident. Uh, rider's helmet. What? Visa was just blood. Oh, visor. She must have seen a motorbike incident and the visor was just oh, covered in blood. Oh, yeah. My mum, a bystander, attempted to administer CPR but to no avail. My apologies for the long email and thank you for all you do. Be safe. Wish you all well, Sarah. I'm on board. Yeah, I am too. I think we've addressed this before. 
in I think I we have and yeah. but I just want to well from, from my, again not unapologetic I'm happy to apologize if we use the word prostitute because I, I, I know agree. it's something that you and I are conscious of yeah and we wherever possible have used the term sex workers but if, if anything it's probably just through laziness because if we're yeah the world has come a long way in mm. the terminology that it uses and in its attitudes yeah and it could be that we're looking back at a story that was written some decades ago or we're yeah. getting material from decades ago where the word prostitute was used more freely and if we're reading and we haven't made that adjustment and put yeah. sex worker then through probably laziness either one of us um we're using that word but mm-hmm. apologize for that sarah certainly no judgment you and know there's no judgment have, have i ever done the story of covering adrian bailey in court um I can't remember. So what there's something there's a particular line in that email that stood out to me and it's when she says that they're often used as a trial run. Where is it? Here we go. I love true crime and the sad fact that it is in so many cases the most awful people have harmed us prostitutes as almost a trial run. So Adrian Bailey, I should do this story for the pod, but basically the most uh, he's he's mostly known for his murder of Jill Maher. In Melbourne, uh, but before he killed Gilmar, he was raping sex workers. Oh yes, and yeah. that became a separate trial um, after the murder of Gilmar, which I covered and which impacted me so much that I had a mental breakdown after that. I just and it was the first time I'd ever had an anxiety attack. I'd never had an anxiety attack from covering uh, a court case or a crime before, but it was actually yet yeah, the the case of him raping sex workers that just blew my mind to it opened my mind up to a world I would never realized before but obviously that is so real for Sarah as yeah. a sex worker knowing this goes on but we don't often turn our minds to what sex workers face yeah because we don't care uh, whereas we do, but, we do, yes, but people there generally is an attitude, an attitude yeah, that exactly. we don't care. And so, the controversy in that case is he was out on bail despite the yeah. fact that he had been charged yeah. with these And I should rapes. say we care. I obviously care. But yes, I mean yes. like the collective no, thought mean. is sometimes that – well, sex yep. workers are sex workers. I feel like the world is getting better, but there's still a lot of work to uh, be done. Yeah. But yeah, Sarah, thank you for, for, for raising that. And please, you know, we're happy to hear criticisms. Yeah, absolutely. And happy to apologise when necessary. And we will do better if we can. Sure. Well, that's you bloomin' lot, you lot. Um, Loved it. Again, that's, this is the podcast as, as we present it to you. Please yep. take it or leave it. Uh, <laughs> send your dead body. you got no choice because we ain't through. changing. <laughs> that's right. Except we will say sex workers. We'll catch you in the next one. There'll be, there'll be next one. There will be. Yep. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.